Hey, this is Ali Ballas, and I am a victim of the 2020 lockdown. All joking aside, I just want to hang, and I've heard a lot of people saying the same, and sometimes with people who I don't even know. And as we've come to realize, that is not okay during a pandemic. Even though we can't meet in person, doesn't mean we can't get outside of our bubble. This is about learning new things, stepping outside, and all while staying home. Just because we can't hang, there still can't hang. This week on Can't Hang, I speak to Melina Palmer, the founder and CEO of The Brainy Business, which provides behavioral economics consulting to businesses of all sizes from around the world. Her accompanying podcast, The Brainy Business, Understanding the Psychology of Why People Buy, has downloads in over 160 countries and is incredibly educational, even being used to explain concepts to employees and businesses and students in university. She teaches applied behavioral economics through the Texas A&M Human Behavior Lab. And even more exciting, her first book is to be released in April 2021. And now it is my pleasure to introduce you to Melina Palmer, the brainiest babe. So a huge welcome to Melina Palmer, who I will say for my demographic is best known for her podcast, the Brainy Business Podcast. So welcome, Melina. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. So I'm so glad to have you on this week. Um, not going to lie, I'm very nervous. <laughs> um, sorry to all my other guests, but Melina is definitely the most intelligent person I've interviewed to date. Um, so I am scared, but in a good way. <laughs> well, please, please don't be nervous. I'm friendly, I promise. Oh, perfect. Okay. Um, so let's get started before we dig into the nitty gritty of um, your real professional life um, and behavioral economics and your podcast. We'll start from the beginning. So where did your uh, educational journey begin? Yeah. Well, um, so first being to take it one little step back, which I think helps in the softening of things perhaps is that for my entire life, there was no question 100% I was going to get a degree in singing, vocal performance and uh, musical theater was actually what I had been looking uh, to do when I was in high school. And I was filling out all my, you know, applications for the Juilliards and things of the world and decided that, um, you know, I didn't where one of those, you could go keep going to school forever and essentially end up teaching high school choir, which (laughs) I loved my high school choir teacher, but knew that that wasn't what I was wanting to do and uh, decided to go in a different route. And then I ended up um, thinking I was going to be pre-med and then I was thinking pre-law. And then I looked at going to school for film direction and whatever, and was just sort of figuring out what I was going to do for a little (laughs) bit. Uh, And then got my undergrad in business with a major in marketing. And when I was in the last little bit of my undergrad, there was just this tiny little mention, one book, one class that was talking about the psychology of buying decisions and understanding what's going on in someone's brain when they're figuring out, 
you know, what they're wanting to buy, just the tiniest little mention. And I knew right then that that was something I thought was a f- just fascinating, so exciting. And I was ready. You know, I said, I, when I go back and get a uh, master's degree, I want it to be in this. And I spent the better part of 10 years looking for programs that didn't exist and was calling business schools all over the country. And they just didn't have anything yet. And so went into industry, um, started a business, worked at an advertising agency, uh, ran a marketing department for a financial institution. And when I was in an innovation program, they brought in some people from what's called the Center for Advanced Hindsight at Duke University, which is their behavioral economics department group, what have you, and found my my niche and then got my master's and started my business and the podcast and all the things. (laughs) So that's really cool that you mentioned that. Like, I find that especially for those who are maybe in school still or just graduated or whatever, I had a girl a couple of weeks ago, um, Nicole, and she started a business based off of one, same thing, one tiny thing on one tiny class and some random class she took, she didn't even really want to take. So I find it so interesting that like that can change your whole trajectory of what you, what you thought you might be um, and what you become interested in. Yeah. Well, and so, like I said, I worked in marketing and brand strategy for years. And then when I found this program and they said it was called behavioral economics and I thought, no, that can't be (laughs) the thing that I, you know, I'm looking for here. That's, that's not right. And so, cause while I'm a fan of economics, especially now, you know, in my undergrad, it was not my favorite part, I guess. (laughs) I don't know if it's anyone's favorite, is it? (laughs) Oh, my, my husband's for sure. Uh, Dr. Palma, where I teach at the Texas A&M University. Yeah, definitely. Uh, (laughs) There are people that love, love, love that sort of thing, but uh, it was not my uh, favorite, but as I've gotten into it, you know, understanding the the pricing strategy and the numbers, it's it's important. But I really approach all of the field from the psychology side more than anything. I got my master's from a school of psychology. Okay, so you talk about this concept called behavioral economics. Um, so what does that kind of boil down to? What really is it on like a an understandable, like palatable level? Yeah. So behavioral economics is a field and it is looking into, I just basically say the psychology of why people buy. And you also get into this decision-making space. And so we all as human people know that there are a lot of things we know we should do, uh, but we don't, you know, you know that you shouldn't eat the candy bar, you know, that you should go for a run, but you have a hard time in the moment, you know, resisting the treat or watching more Netflix, you know, whatever that happens to be. And even though you know what the right choice is for you or what you want to do, you still have a hard time stopping yourself. And so when we look at from a business perspective, which is really what I do through the brainy business is in understanding what your potential or current customers are actually going to do instead of what they say they're going to do or what they should do makes a difference so you can properly model. And if you understand their behavior of the choices they'll actually make, then you can predict things better and you can just communicate better with other people so that it helps them to see 
what the best choice is and to then make those choices themselves. Mm -hmm. So in your, in one of the videos I watched, um, that you had sent me in preparation for this episode, um, you tell this story, I guess, um, about the two displays of the Mars bars. Um, can you just like iterate that story? Because I think it's so wild, mostly only because, well, not only mostly because I can fully see myself doing that. Like, Oh, I'm so much better than everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And that's where I try throughout the podcast and when I'm presenting in on stages, whatever, whenever I'm talking about these things, I definitely like to give examples where you can, you hear it and you go, yeah, I get that. I would do that. That totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then you can understand everyone else does it too. So that example is essentially there were two different end cap displays in a grocery store that they were doing for this study. And the one says Snickers bars buy them for your freezer. And the other one says Snickers bars buy 18 for your freezer, which anybody making that message would feel like, you know, I think we all know 18 is a lot of Snickers bars and more than most people buy at any given time. Mm -hmm. And so if you were the one making that ad, let's say, you would probably not feel great about putting that number on there. It's really arbitrary. You don't want to have to defend it if, you know, your boss comes in and say, why'd you put that on there? Somebody's going to get mad, whatever. And then you might say, you know, them is unlimited and people could get a hundred Snickers bars if they wanted. So yada, yada, yada. This is why we need to go in this direction. So what actually happens when they did the test is that when it had the number 18, instead of the word them, there was a 38% increase in the sales of Snickers bars. And so the reason really this happens is a concept called anchoring and adjustment. And so putting that number out there as something that your brain kind of hooks onto and then adjusts up or down from, whereas them is really a fancy word for zero in this case. And it's asking, you know, do you want Snickers bars? Maybe you notice it. Let's say you get two um, because you're trying to be healthy and whatnot. Whereas when you see the number 18, you instead, maybe your brain says, wait, what? Like something's going on here. Uh, That's a little bit crazy. And then you think I'm way better than everybody else. I don't need 18. I'll just get six. And you work your way then down from 18 instead of up from zero. Mm -hmm. I can totally see myself uh, being the victim of this. Well, not victim. I guess it's not the bad thing, but um, of this scenario, because you're right, you always want to put yourself as like the superior um, being instead of obviously, if you don't have to buy any, um, you're working your way up, like you said. Um, but you're saying all this information that's so cool and interesting, but why does this matter to consumers? You kind of touched on it a bit, but like, what are the consequences of this for just like the average consumer of these companies kind of, I don't want to say it's malicious, but playing these mind games with, uh, consumers. Um, I would definitely not say that it's a mind games situation and especially from any of the businesses that are out there, of course, in any industry, any learning, any space, there will be someone that will use powers for evil instead of good, you know, across the board. Yeah. But in general for behavioral scientists, it's looking for ways to communicate and help people make the best choices for themselves. And so 
when we look at the field of behavioral economics and behavioral science, we're looking at providing a nudge to help someone to make those choices and present options very well for them. If you are a consumer, being able to understand how your brain actually works is very important just to be more thoughtful in the decisions that you make. And so to take a step back, I would talk a little bit about how the brain actually works because it's an important kind of clarification that even though we all have brains, eh, we don't really know what they're doing most of the time. And so the subconscious brain, you know, you have a conscious, you have a subconscious, you've heard the terms before, but don't really like to think much about the subconscious. You know, it's there, but eh, you don't have to pay attention to it. And so your subconscious though, is actually making the highest study where I've seen this uh, ranked puts it at 99.999% of all the decisions and filtering that's happening in your brain is happening in that subconscious space. Wow. The lowest studies put it at 95%. And so when you still look at this and say the vast majority of what's happening all day long within your brain is being processed by your subconscious using rules of thumb and things that it knows have worked well for it in the past. And this is everything from which hand you use when you brush your teeth in the morning to the order you put in, you know, milk first and then cereal or cereal first and then milk or coffee or whatever it is. Um, All these processes and from when you're walking through a grocery store and you're drawn to red cans instead of blue cans when you're in the soup aisle, all of that is done using these rules of the brain and what it has done before. And so if you think about this process of driving a car, when you learned to drive a car, it was a very difficult tedious process. It was very slow and difficult. You were stressed. You maybe could feel every movement of the steering wheel in your hands. And you're thinking, where are my eyes supposed to look? And what are my feet going to do? And what's this thing for? And it's just really kind of bogging you down. That's because it's something that was done in your conscious brain. But once you've done it a few times, you get the hang of it. It becomes part of your subconscious rules of thumb. Your brain is still making all those same decisions, but it's able to do them using the subconscious. So it doesn't have to waste the energy for that very precious space in your conscious brain until maybe you're driving over a mountain overpass in the pouring rain between a semi-truck and a guardrail. (laughs) And then you can kind of feel everything really slow down and focus in very, very tightly on what you're doing. That's really kind of that handoff moment between the subconscious and the conscious, which you don't feel most of the time, but those are moments where you can really understand that transitional point where the subconscious says, okay, like we need all, you know, hands on deck, everything. Yeah. (laughs) Whoa. Everything happened right here for sure. So knowing that, and I, know that that was a kind of a roundabout way to get back to your initial question, Mm -hmm. but understanding that your brain is using these rules of thumb, like 
the anchoring and those power of numbers, being loss averse, um, knowing that when we see that something is scarce, that we think it's of a higher value, all those things can just help for when you do want to be making a very informed decision. There's a lot of um, weight in the choices that you're making. It's very important that you can, you know, take the step back and say, why am I doing this? Why do I feel like I want that thing? Do I actually need it? Am I going to want this tomorrow? You can kind of attack your own brain's habitual buying cycle to see if it's something you really want to be doing or something you just feel like you should be doing in the moment based on those rules from the subconscious. Mm -hmm. So like in term, okay, so that's good. So like training your brain to kind of think about it differently. That was actually my next question. So, um, is there like a training program? Like, you know what I mean? Like tricks or like something you could think about, like I go to the grocery store and I need to like really think about what my subconscious is like telling me to buy. Is there any like things like not to, um, not to overthink anything, but just things to think about when you're in those buying spaces um, that might make you more aware or is it kind of something that an individual has to kind of figure out for themselves? So, you know, there's a bit of a mix to the answer. The first piece though is knowing that as much as we would like to say, or it feels like it would be good to be able to say, well, I'm just going to train my brain. And now, you know, it's, only 80% is happening in the subconscious. No, that doesn't happen. <laughs> we're, we're stuck with these ratios. And so something you're going to be bogging down the conscious brain with uh, is going to impact uh, to where it only has a certain limit of what it can handle. And then everything else is done by the subconscious. And it's because our brain uses up so much energy. If your conscious brain was doing more, we just couldn't survive. You would die. <laughs> There's not <laughs> enough calories and everything going on in the brain. You can't do it. And so if you think about when you get your brain overwhelmed, that conscious brain, it happens very quickly. And then the subconscious has to take over something that you maybe would prefer to have your real thinking brain handling that focusing space. Uh, so an example for this is another study that was done and they had two groups of people that were asked, they were given an envelope with a slip of paper in it, and they each had a number on them. And for half of the people, they were given a two-digit number, the other half a seven-digit number. And then they had to remember that number as they went through a series of tasks. And then at the end, you tell the person what your number was. One of the tasks along the way was to select your snack of what your little treat was going to be when you were done with the experiment. Those who were remembering the two digit number were much more likely to choose the healthy fruit salad option. And those remembering the seven digit number were much more likely to choose chocolate cake. And this is because our subconscious is very driven by rewards and it likes to get treats. It wants sugar. It wants all these other um, benefits. This the high of scrolling through Instagram or watching TikTok videos or, you know, whatever it is, there's a lot of uh, joy that comes in that for the brain. And so subconscious is looking for rewards a lot of the time. And in the case of the two numbers where only five digits made the difference, it seems like we should be able to remember something as simple as a seven digit number without it impacting us. But when you think about this, you know, if it was your number's 12, 
you have to remember 12. You know, tomorrow I could ask you, hey, what was that number I said yesterday? And you probably say, oh yeah, it was 12, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to bother you. Whereas if I say, um, hey, like your number is the seven digits long. So you're going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That looks delicious. Mm -hmm. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Right. <laughs> and so conscious brain is bogged down. Subconscious is able to say, mm, I want that and, mm -hmm. and take a step. So think about this for when you do go to the grocery store, you would like to think we have an optimism bias as well. So we think I can definitely remember there are just 10 things on the list that's super easy. I won't forget that I need to get all of these things. And so I'm just going to keep them in my head and pop in real quick and get all the stuff. And so remembering 10 things, you know, carrots, bacon, cheese, whatever, then when you are trying to remember those things, your conscious brain gets busy. And so, you know, subconscious brain might be kind of looking around and going, that looks good. And, oh, maybe did we need chips? Like chips are good. You know, the, <laughs> all of those course. little things. Yeah. The little nudges. Another way that the that anchoring impact where I was talking about the Snickers, uh, that that comes into play would be when things are on sale, 10 for $10, you're going to buy more than if they're labeled as a dollar each or when there are limits on things. So it's cans of soup are on sale now, and there's a limit of 12, you'll buy more than if there's no limit, which is bizarre mm -hmm. when we think about it, but that anchored limit will make you buy often two to three times as many as you would have without a limit listed. I could see that for sure. I feel like the one I am always, always victim to is like two for one. Like I didn't mm. need two though. And like, I think that becomes a whole nother conversation that I feel like you may or may not be um, passionate about too, but like, um, like waste, like overconsumption. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's a, a whole different issue in general, but so I can see why things like this become other problems so quickly. Yeah, yes, definitely. And so understanding there are a lot of areas of behavioral science and people who focus on uh, behavioral economics, behavioral change for good initiatives. And so the, you know, being able to understand how you can nudge people to use less energy in their house or to drive slower so it uses less gas in the car and the little ding when you're driving the in the car and you forgot to put on your seatbelt and it beeps at you, mm -hmm. you know, that is a, what we would call a nudge that's reminding you to do something that, you know, you want to do in his good behavior, but you might otherwise forget because your brain gets a little bit busy. And so there are a lot of things throughout behavioral science. There've been studies from, you know, Australia and the UK where they're working on the way that you can have nudges to help doctors prescribe less antibiotics because that is its own problem mm -hmm. when you get superbugs and all of these things, nudging to help with um, you know, reducing global hunger or poverty. There are so many ways that this is being used around the world for all sorts of things beyond business um, to consumer examples. And that's why I was saying there's, there's a lot of value in presenting options in a good way. When we look at the nudging, which is what we talk about in behavioral science, instead of, it's not a, a forced 
uh, tricking you into anything, mm-hmm. uh, sort of an approach. But when you think about choice and you would say, I want to give people the ability to pick the perfect choice for them. And they should always be able to know what the best choice is. I'm going to give them all the information and then they'll know exactly what they want. What we find in the research and behavioral economics is built on neuroscience, economics, psychology, lots of fields that are built in here. If you change the order in which information is presented, people's choices will change. If you include an extra option, people will go from you know, choosing the second option to the third option, even if uh, it was something that they didn't want, you know, otherwise. Um, when you change the choices and the way that they're presented, even if it's kind of the same stuff, our choices change. And so the example for this would be, if you think you're going to be setting kids free in a cafeteria and they have enough money to get anything they want and their parents will never know what they chose, we'd probably all think that they're going for all the French fries, pizza, candy, Mm -hmm. bad stuff of the world. And what actually happens is the where you place things changes the choices that people make. So when the desserts were placed at the front of the line, they were 25% more likely to be chosen. When they were at the back of the line or in a completely different line, they were 25% less likely to be chosen. And whatever's at eye level, whether it's French fries or carrot sticks, is more likely to be chosen. And so that choice of what people are going to pick, what they want, what they're going to be happy with, differs based on the way that the food is presented to them. All the food is exactly the same, but the order in which they see it makes a difference in what they end up choosing. Wow. That's really interesting. So actually, this isn't even one of my planned questions. This is something that came up while you were speaking. Um, What do you think? I mean, this is not something we have in Canada, which like sad, but um, (laughs) of like In-N-Out Burger. So like they have like three options or whatever. I guess I'm not familiar because I've only been there a couple of times um, when Mm. I'm visiting, but Um, It's such a cool and unique thing because instead of like McDonald's or Burger King or something like that, they have like just a couple of options and you kind of choose hamburger or veggie burger and, and like that's it sort of thing. I love In-N-Out Burger. So great, (laughs) great call you. Uh, We don't have one close to us. And the one just opened a couple, I I don't know, a year ago or something. And it's like three, four hour drive away. And my husband have, and I have gone a couple times. So (laughs) (laughs) totally worth it. Love In-N-Out Burger. But the this gets into a concept and it's related to that overwhelm that I was talking about before, but it's this paradox of choice is what we call it. And so people think that they want lots and lots of choices that you want all the options and to be able to evaluate everything and customization and make all the possible decisions. But then when you actually have them, it, 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 you're kind of, um, you know, overwhelmed by what's there. And it makes it so you feel that analysis paralysis, you don't feel good about choices you make. And often you present too many choices and it makes it so people have a harder time being happy with what they ultimately choose. And so one of the best studies about this is one that was done around jam and they did a taste testing in a grocery store. And so, you know, having 24 different flavors of jams and jellies, you can try as many as you want. And then, you know, you go to buy 
uh, whatever you want that, you know, here's the aisle, you got a coupon. And so when they had 24 different types of jam, they had a lot of people tasting and trying all sorts of different uh, jams and feeling pretty good about the experience, but very few people bought anything. When they only had six or even three choices, it made it so there were less people who stopped to taste, but many more people bought jam. And so when you think about that overwhelm of, you know, you tried five of the 24 options and then you think, well, I mean, do the kids want raspberry or strawberry or there was that Mm -hmm. orange one or a grape? I don't even, you know, I'll think about it. And and next week when I come back to grocery shop again, then we'll think about doing toast, right? Mm -hmm. You want to put it off. Whereas if there are only six. Uh, it feels like an easier choice. You tried, you know, one or two and say, yeah, that was good. I'm going to go pick one up, but you don't feel like you're missing out. FOMO is real. And (laughs) there are a lot of uh, reasons for it within this understanding of behavioral science. And so knowing that that's going to be a problem, uh, makes it just when you can reduce the amount of options, it changes the choice that people make. And so when you think about investing into a 401k, which, and I don't know if that's what they are called in We're Canada. familiar with them only because there's so much advertising of them still <laughs> yeah. in Canada, but okay. I know what you're talking about. Right. So investing in your retirement uh, and in the the U.S. you know, and around the world, there are issues where people don't save enough for their retirements. And when you have this presentation where, you know, they say these are the 85 stock options in the portfolio and how you get to organize the money. And we recommend this fund, but there's also this one and that one and this one and that Mm -hmm. one. Very few people end up even enrolling in the program because you think you want to think about it later, deal with it down the road. When they only had two options really even just featured as these are the best two. And then there, we recommend one of these two. There are all these other ones. If you want to talk about more, then you end up with a lot more people that enroll in the program. And that's really the point, right? You know, you Mm -hmm. want them to be investing in their own savings. And even though people want that, want to have money retirement, know it's a good thing, they should do it. It is difficult often for them to get that done um, when they're not properly nudged and they have that paradox of too many choices. For sure. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll move along to your podcast aspect of, um, your knowledge, because, um, I think this was over the last, I don't know, 20 minutes has been a perfect, um, example of what your podcast kind of is because you kind of go through the examples in such a great way. Um, I find that I learned something, which is the point, I guess, um, (laughs) every single episode. And it's like a real takeaway that like you go to, I know we're using grocery store a lot as an example, but you go to the grocery store and you're like, Oh my God, I heard Melina talk about this. Like, this is so cool. Um, so I guess it's my kind of brain training is my point that I'm trying to make. Um, and just making myself more aware of the things that are going on around me. And I guess, um, as a career standpoint, it is good to know, um, going into your career. And so it's great anyway. So Melina, can you give us like a brief, um, like elevator pitch on the brainy business podcast, what it's all about, um, understanding that it's kind of like we've, what we've been talking about. Yes, definitely. Uh, the way that I 
have been answering questions, talking about things here is very much the way that you'll hear them on the show. It's my goal to make behavioral economics accessible to everyone. I like to say I'm bringing it out of academia and into application. And that is a big reason why the podcast exists, why it was launched and, you know, what it's there to do. Their first 80 episodes, I think, of the show were just me talking for, you know, in many cases, an hour. Uh, I've shortened some of those up as time has gone by. Uh, But, you know, we'll say there's an entire episode on anchoring and adjustment. It's number 11. And you're able to go in, hear that Snickers study again, some of the other ways that you use it. And I will often, I'll say, you know, this is the concept. This is how it works. Here are some studies, but I don't get into the standard deviation and variance and p-values and all that stuff that you don't need to know. Uh, It exists. I'm happy to talk to anybody that wants to, but typically, you know, most people don't care about that in the application that I'm bringing it up here. So you hear about the concept, you understand how it works. I'll give a lot of examples of this is how you could use it in a service-based business. This is how you might use it in real estate. This is how you would use it in all these other ways as a consumer, whatever. And most of those episodes, those foundational ones, I always do a free worksheet. So you can go download and take notes and kind of remember the concepts. I also have multiple episodes where I'm talking about a specific company. So, you know, the behavioral economics of Starbucks. Uh, I have an episode on Peloton, Costco, and several, you know, those are very popular episodes. People really like those where I'm basically saying, Hey, you've, you've noticed that they have the unicorn frappuccino or whatever, you know, that's a scarcity thing. This is why this is how it works. Understanding how those applications are put into context. Uh, and I have a series of interviews as well, uh, that I do. And some, combining the concepts, like should you, how to raise prices, how to think about uh, change management conversations and uh, negotiation tactics or, you know, whatever that is, bringing things together. So you understand how the con, the concepts can combine to provide real value that, you know, being able to leverage them using them together. So that's, I guess, kind of the rundown of what exists with the podcast and how that's all put together. Mm-hmm. So it just seems like every episode is uh, like very culminated. And I, I want to say specifically, I tend to gravitate towards more of like the specific examples. So like you're right, the Starbucks, the Ikea, the ones I can really recognize. Um, so maybe that's just a me thing. But uh, so why is a podcast a perfect tool for you? Because it just seems like uh, it's the perfect way to kind of get your point across. Um, and you're right, make it so much more accessible. Um, whereas I feel like someone might not read this amount of information, but listening to it, they seem to love it. (laughs) Yes. And I am working on doing, um, more like bite-sized videos that are going to be available where you can get the little two to five minute, like why this, here's a little thing about it. Uh, so having some of those bite-sized chunks are going to be coming up next. And so you can keep an eye out for those. So perfect for all the people that can't pay attention for a long time. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. And I know that especially, you know, where 
people have less time where we're not commuting in the same way. Uh, you know, hopefully we'll get back to things, you know, post pandemic life here soon enough, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things have changed. So being able to have those little, you've got a minute that bite-sized binge watch of videos, uh, is, is an option. So, um, the reason a podcast is something that made sense for me when I launched it two and a half years ago, uh, is it because behavioral economics, as you said, as we got started here, it's something that people don't understand. They don't know what it even is and why they need it. And so being able to establish myself as a thought leader in a space that most people that I'm talking to have never even heard of is something that to just be constantly fighting an uphill battle of explaining it in every sales call I would be having or, or whatnot is too difficult. And so being able to show people what it means and how that comes together, you get to hear my thought process. You really get to see what it's like to work with me by listening to me talk about the concepts and how they come together. So it's, it's a way for people to understand the field, why it matters to them, start to think about how they might be applying it, understanding their own brains. And then for anyone who is a potential client or to book me to speak at an event or whatever it is, it just is a nice background, you know, backlog of a huge amount of content that exists to show the expertise that exists in the space. Mm -hmm. And this is, I find a lot of your episodes, it's stuff that I want to know. And like I mentioned, I wouldn't read it and I wouldn't necessarily go into a full like academic program about it. So you're right. It does make it so much more accessible for those who are interested, but may not be as committed to being, um, you know, getting their PhD or something like that in uh, this field, uh, but having the information really available for them just to learn for their own leisure and for their own life. Right. Yeah. And for people in business, so there are most of the programs that have existed up to now, most and most being like 99.99%, pretty much everything that's out there in the field is very academic. And so you are getting a PhD or a master's, you're looking to do research at an institution, or, you know, maybe within a business, but very, very into the the science and the, the modeling of it. And there is this other side in the application of as someone who's in business and maybe I have a lot of people that listen that have been in their career, they, they're at a high level in a large organization. They love the work that they do in marketing or brand strategy or product development, pricing, whatever. And, but they want an extra edge. They want to understand that psychology more. They want to add something, but they are not looking to change careers. And that is where the brainy business is able to help provide the information they're looking for. And, you know, since then have worked with Texas A&M University, we've launched a certificate in applied behavioral economics. And I teach uh, many of the classes in that program in the same way of how you're going to use it in business and in, you know, for some in life, but, you know, how you want to use that information without having to go get a master's or a PhD in research. Right. 
That's awesome. Um, and I think that's just for myself. Uh, I just find it so informational uh, and, but not boring ever. I'm never bored. So Hooray. kudos <laughs> to you on that. And I do get bored easily. So that is a huge compliment. Um, so I guess, like you mentioned, there's like going to be some shorter videos. I know you're writing a book, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is the future for the Brainy Business Podcast for you right now? Yeah, the podcast is, I think, ever evolving, but still rooted in what it's always been. So I think there will always be a presence of me doing those solo episodes. People really love those. But also being able to introduce, I have been doing more interviews recently, especially as I was working on my book. As you said, I had so many conversations with people that are using the the knowledge and the background of the field in businesses around the world and being able to talk about all the cool things they're doing and have them talk about their own research or their what they did for their books uh, is really valuable, I think. And so there are more interviews that are included there. Um, but being able to continue to help people to understand how they can apply behavioral economics more themselves and the brainy business will have the, you know, I have my first book, um, like you said, coming out, uh, in May of 2021. So we'll see where that goes and what happens with all those little videos, but that's really the, the focus right now. That's awesome. I'm so excited for that book. And I know I said I don't like to read stuff, but I do love to read. Um, so I'm really excited for your for your book as well um, as all the new episodes I'm sure you will have coming out that are always great. Um, so as always, I do a little set of rapid fire questions at the end. Um, and it's more so about you than any of your professional work. Um, so more so just to get to know you, uh, Melina, as a person. <laughs> um, So my first question, because it's called can't hang, um, if you could hang or quarantine with any five people, who would it be? They could be like famous or like, they could just be like a group of friends. (laughs) Well, five people, that's more than I would have been thinking of. So we definitely always want to have my husband be there. And we'll just say like the family is sort of a given, right? But, Mm -hmm. uh, so they can be just one. (laughs) Okay. Um, my, we've been watching and I know, you know, not needing to get into politics or any of that, but we've been watching a lot of really interesting stuff uh, and documentaries and such with on Barack Obama recently. And, oh man, really miss that guy. Mm -hmm. He looks like a lot of fun. So I would say that he would be on the list of people. I'm a very big Beatles fan and have always really loved the Beatles. So would say Paul McCartney would be on the list. Um, I also really love Ellen. And so I think she would be a lot of fun to have hanging out with us. And um, hmm, trying to think of a, a good and creative fifth individual, but um I know somebody who wouldn't be, you know, some of the like comedians might be kind of funny, but they'd get annoying over time. Yes. Yes. And, I really uh, that. Well, I feel like you have a lot of people there already. So I feel like that's a good quarantine house. <laughs> if yeah. I'm going to say so myself, <laughs> yeah. um, going on to the next one. Um, what's your favorite book that you've like recently read? Like maybe this year. 
If you've done well, a lot of reading. <laughs> yes, I've definitely been doing a lot of reading. And while I didn't first read it this year, my all-time favorite book that I always recommend is called A More Beautiful Question, and it's by Warren Berger. It is a really fantastic book that helps to think about how uh, we actually can relate to different things. It kind of gets into innovation and it's helping you to ask good questions so you can make beautiful changes in the world. It's just a really, really fantastic book that I always recommend. So that sounds like a really great book that I haven't heard of before. It's funny. Yeah. No one it's, it's, it was a bestseller, but I'm amazed at how many people haven't heard of it. It's Awesome. Highly, highly, okay, highly. Okay. Amazing. I'm always looking for new books, especially ones that I haven't heard of because I feel like I'm getting the same recommendations over and over. So that's awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, going back to Starbucks, <laughs> um, what is your Starbucks order? I get a chai tea latte. Funny enough, um, I remember reading and it's, I'm not a follower of the Kardashians, but my, I think my husband had sent me something at one point and it might be Chloe, like one of them orders the, their drink the same way that I do just by sheer happenstance, (laughs) uh, which is it's an iced venti chai tea latte with light ice and seven pumps of chai, which is just an extra pump of chai. It sounds like it's a lot, um, (laughs) but you want to have, you can tell I'm from Washington state, right? I'm from Seattle. So we get that sort of uh, nitpicky ordering, (laughs) but you want the light ice so it doesn't get all watered down and they yes. tend to fill the whole thing with they ice. They do. It's, it's so obvious what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. But if you don't say that you want the extra chai, it just ends up being tons and tons of milk that's in there. And then it's really f- flavorless. It's just like a really big glass of l- little bit browner milk. (laughs) So you need the little extra of the chai syrup to add that spice in Mm. and the light ice. So that is what I... That's such a pro tip. Uh, Yep. There you go. I've ordered many a chai tea latte in my day. I feel like um, I used to get chai tea lattes a lot at Starbucks when they used to have, I feel like this is maybe dating myself, but I'm not that old. Um, The Oprah chai tea. Oprah chai. Yep. Nope. I knew exactly what you were going to say. I like the the Oprah Oprah chai chai tea latte. And then I was like devastated when they took it away. Like how was I just supposed to get normal chai tea? So the thing is the big difference with the Oprah chai and the other is it's just got extra chai flavor. And so if you ask for extra pumps of the chai, like I was just saying there to get the extra pump, it basically does the same thing. Stop. Okay. Well, double pro tip then. I can't wait to order that. Do it. (laughs) So excited. Um, Okay. Last question for you. Uh, What there's been obviously a lot of negative outcomes of the quarantine and of COVID-19 and all that. Um, but I like to try to keep things positive. So what's your favorite positive of maybe being locked down or of the quarantine in general? I would say that I too am a very positive silver lining sort of person. And while none of us wanted to be here, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the pieces of advice that I've been giving for businesses and things across the way is, because we're all built in these habits and our subconscious is using all those rules of thumb and whatnot, it's really hard often to break in and do something new, either for your own self to shake up your own habits. We have status quo bias. We don't 
like to change if we don't have to. And then if you do sell things and you're looking to break into a space uh, and somebody's had an existing vendor for a long time or whatever, because our status quo bias is now completely shaken, people are looking to replace habits, to buy things, to change and work out at home, or uh, we're having to do these, you know, virtual promotions and setting up things that are really better for customers. And we all would have wanted anyway, if we could have if we could have known to ask for them before we were forced to like who misses having to go to the grocery store, you know, mm-hmm. as a consumer uh, and having my groceries delivered to me is way better than me having to go walk around the store by myself. And, you know, businesses have to learn and adapt to that, but finding new ways to help people with, you know, problems that they didn't know they were going to have and creating all these new markets or industries, opportunities for businesses, and uh, just a new way to kind of shake things up and get out of our own habits, I think is a real benefit to look at changing what you do. You have a real opportunity to do that, that we don't usually have. Mm -hmm. I don't know you that well, but that seemed like a very Molina answer. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) um, Okay. I lied. There actually is one more question before we close out. Um, What is like, if someone's going to go listen to the Brainy Business podcast um, right now, or tomorrow or on their commute or whatever, what is an episode that you would love them to listen to first? I would say one, there's one that just came out very recently that is, has been very, very well received. People have really, really liked, and it was on the dose uh, giving you a dose of brain chemicals. And so it's talking about the chemicals in the brain, the main feel good chemicals of dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins, how they work and how you can, you know, work with them to be happier and, and set and achieve goals and, and all of that. So that's episode 123 of the podcast. If you were to go to the brainybusiness.com slash one, two, three, you would find it. Oh, Wow. Such a good, good one to recommend then. That's so easy to (laughs) remember. Um, Well, I personally haven't listened to that one, so I am also excited to listen to it. Um, But thank you so much, Melina, um, for your time and for being on and for such an incredible episode. Uh, I'm sure it'll be very well received um, and you're just so knowledgeable. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm Alia Ballas, and you have been listening to Can't Hang. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you loved today's show, please subscribe and don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Visit canhang.simplecast.com to check out all the incredible people I've interviewed and who's coming soon. Much love goes out to all those who have been posting about Can't Hang on social. Please tag me in your posts at Can't Hang Pod, and please continue to send me suggestions of who you'd love to see in future episodes. I have an incredible lineup, but I'm always looking for people outside my bubble. Please tune in next Thursday and hang with me and my next guest. This show is produced by me, Alia Ballas, and the music was created by Quan. Quan.